Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes, completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves, and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Abhinav and Raghav are brothers and co-founders of Fluid AI, which aims to be your enterprise GPT co-pilot. In the interview, they share their journey from dropping out of MBA to build an enterprise AI company. They emphasize the value of embracing uncertainty and being adaptable in the constantly changing entrepreneurial landscape. Beyond technology, their passion for reading, investing, and music fuels their multidisciplinary approach to problem solving, which leads to fresh insights and constant growth. For aspiring leaders, they recommend books like The Hard Thing About Hard Things and Mindset. Welcome to another episode of the Choosing Leadership podcast. And today we have Abhinav and Raghav from Fluid.ai. So welcome Abhinav, welcome Raghav. And yeah, why don't I hand the mic over to you to talk about what do you do, how you got started. Maybe do a little bit of an introduction and we'll take it from there. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. That we co-founded about 10 years ago. We are focused on doing artificial intelligence solutions powered by the likes of GPT. We work a lot with some of the largest global brands in the space and the banks and insurers are typically our target, but we work across. And what we are bringing to the forefront is an enterprise version of GPT. Out here, what we do is that we take all the knowledge that an organization has, feed it to an AI system. And it becomes a set of virtual intelligent assistants for every employee in the organization, whether it be customer support, marketing and sales, accounts, these assistants are all across. Just to add to what Raga said, we both being self-taught coders are extremely passionate about the technology space and we love it. As we scale and grow the business, like our goal is to make give everyone the opportunity to be the most productive version of it. Yeah, thank you for adding that. And before we get into that, can you share a bit of your background? Because both of you dropped out, as you said, and I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. So your background is not in technology. 
Right. So can you share how you got started, How where this drive of uh, entrepreneurship or technology came from? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we both were uh, young age. We started enjoying tech quite a lot. So we used to play around with technology, start learning a little bit of coding as well. And obviously, we're both very interested in finance, still are very interested in finance. We run our own family office as well. We do special situations investing. But when you were in that kind of journey of finance, tech always excited us quite a lot. And we used to think our tech capability is fairly decent. We didn't think much of it because obviously hanging around finance folks, if you can, uh, like the level of technology might not come across that easily. But then when we were in New York, the TechCrunch Bishop Hackathon was happening nearby. So both of us were saying, hey, we'll drop in. It sounds more fun than exciting for that day. We did the 24-hour hackathon. We were one of the winners there. And that's what really kind of opened us and said, hey, there's more coding capability than we think. And then we kind of started working more towards it, built out a team, started scaling the business. And along that journey, kind of achieved a lot of our dreams. We, we worked with Warren Buffett to launch and met him to launch the world's first AI version mm -hmm. of him. He came on the cover of Fox. So that, I think, that initial starts then really kind of just kind of pushed us along that direction of technology yeah yeah i must start right both of you are brothers and so you grew up in the same household right yeah absolutely. yeah yeah so is there something in the family like how did that happen is there something there which we are missing yeah our parents were obviously entrepreneurs as well yeah they built a business in the real estate space and in a table conversation. So we were very inspired by their journey. And uh, and yeah, so you know, it was very comfortable, right? Like when we dropped out. But I think for our parents, it was it was something that they said, yeah, if you feel that you have a great idea and share it with the world, go ahead and uh, we, are, we are with you. So it's support and guidance, obviously, sort of. Goodness. Yeah, yeah. And I speak with a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Especially in the early phases, there's a lot of pressure to prove something many times to your parents, but also to your investors. And did you feel that because of your parents, that was that journey was easier initially for you? Yeah, obviously. I think my parents having had a similar journey in life. I think they are from a family perspective for folks to understand what we were doing and how we were going about building it and the pressures of an early stage startup. So I think in that sense, yes, we were a little luckier than most entrepreneurs. Yeah, and I think we started young. What we've noticed is that when you start young, there's a little less pressure to the metrics or the success that you you gauge yourself by are, are slightly easier. So that helped that by the time we kind of reach a certain stage in our careers or lives, it, it kind of the success kind of kept up with the expectations that people have. So that kind of helped. Yeah, yeah. And having said that, every entrepreneur's journey is different. It's full of surprises. So can you share maybe one or two of those like difficult moments or tough choices that you had to make on the way? I think that for me, personally, the toughest was when we dropped out of MBA. It was a phenomenal experience. I was only there for a month that I speak. You know, at that time, the MBA seemed, and it is still giving a great network, it's giving great learnings and and then we got a big customer at that time. One of the largest banks in the U.S. reached out and said, hey, we want to work with you guys. Uh, and decide. And it, really, it was a slightly risky moment as well. But then you're cutting ties with the 
the opportunities you have if the business doesn't scale to what you expect it to scale. So I think that was a tough call for me personally. Uh, we worked out towards the end. In fact, we went back up to seven years to get faculty at ISP. They published a case study that's now being taught at ISP and Harvard as well uh, on two ADIs. So it worked out, but yeah, it was a tough, tough decision at that point. Yeah, and... I think for me, the, the most challenging part of the early days was you're seeing you're building something in a space. We were in AI way before. Obviously, AI today is the buzzword. You have everyone using it. But way back then, it was a longer discussion with folks. What is AI? How will it work? Uh, do we need it? You know, these are some of the initial questions we would sometimes get. And there was a lot of time we had to spend on... Typically, if you go with a product, people understand and say, okay, we want it, we don't want it, or this is what we feel about it. But with this one, there was a lot of customer education in the beginning. So you had that little bit of self-doubt that are we heading in the right direction? Do we, why are we having to spend so much effort uh, in mm. explaining the bank proposition? Why is it not clear to the other side? So uh, so that was a bit of a challenging moment. We had to regrow, keep educating our customers. And obviously today, it's a very different world. Yeah. And you spoke about your first customer, right? So can you share a bit more on that? How did that happen? Because at that time, yes, as you said, AI was not very well known. You also were like very young. So did that play a role? And then how did you like do the traditional marketing sales aspects of, of what you're doing? Yeah. So I think we were always very, as a company, we always wanted to showcase. We never went in with presentation. We always went in with live demos, no video, etc. So we said, we'll do the demo live out here for you. And we also tried to build a lot of success metrics in, in the early days. Again, like we were young, the company was not known to most. Uh, so we always said, okay, you know, use the technology, see how successful it is for you, and then scale it, grow it, pay us, etc. So I think that that really allowed people to know that it's real. We were doing some fascinating work. A lot of people, when they are presenting, etc., they just stick to slides or this. So they don't really showcase the reality of it. And we were very insistent that we want to put it in live action. We want people to use it. We would actually have uh, our customers in the meetings themselves say, okay, put in, use it yourself. Let's get this live because I can talk days about this and you're not going to be convinced. So I think that was something that really, at least at that time, was very exciting for folks. It's not typically the way software is sold. And uh, yeah, so then one of our large customers, this the bank that I would have talked about, they reached out to us, hearing about us from a lot of people saying that, okay, these are some really cool technology. You guys must explore it. And it was, I think it was great because when it's a intent from the customer coming rather than us pushing it out there, it was much easier to close that deal. And even though we were a much smaller company back then, they had confidence because they had seen the technology, they had seen others comment on its superiority, and they could actually go ahead and sign that debut with us. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a wonderful lesson for any entrepreneur uh, to showcase, right? To not just talk about what they're doing, but also demonstrate if they can in some way. And and you're doing it many times. And it, it's wonderful that you shared that the customer was not the one of those people that you like actually showcased, but it's the word spread, right? So even then doing those activities or finding those opportunities are still very important and not just waiting for the inbound. So I think that's also very valuable. And you spoke about self-doubt earlier, right? At the same time, it takes a lot of courage to stand up, to to speak confidently, especially when you're new, when you're young, when you have something also innovative. 
can you share how was that initially and then how both of you have grown over the last decade or so i think yeah any time in an entrepreneur's journey you know no matter how big you become that there is always a little element of self doubt you try something new when you're in a new space or i think it's just about getting used to the fact of just being able to put yourself out there and being comfortable not knowing all the answers when you get into a situation and saying experience will the experience of doing something will guide you that i found is is very powerful and being okay with failure i think really helps for sure once you build that muscle to be okay to fail and and grow fast and learn from your failures i think automatically doubt turns into intrigue of experiment earlier you the only reason you're worried about your you have self doubt is because you're worried that you will fail and that at a younger age or when we started out it used to be a big thing that oh, what if we fail or what if this doesn't work or what if the customer doesn't like now it's more about the yeah, if he doesn't like it or the market rejects what a building next try something new or you tweak it or you figure out what's wrong and it's okay you have to fail a couple of times and figure out what's not working to make what's work so i think the doubt still remains but the process to solve for it has changed yeah thank you for sharing that i think even there right what you're sharing is just because you have done something repeatedly yeah, you are more at peace with it right the doubt is still there but it doesn't bother you and that's a wonderful frame about confidence because it's not just magic pill which you swallow it's also about doing something over a period of time and then getting something out of it yeah what about you raghav how have you changed in the last decade yeah i think very similar to what abhinav was saying and this is i think something we've discussed a lot is that initially you always have fear of failure and uh, but when you get into entrepreneurship you realize that it's about uncertainty right uh, an entrepreneur is going to face a degree of uncertainty more than in most other professions i would say because you have to accept the uncertainty to really put yourself out there be sort of be exposed to a, a much higher continuum of risk of failure risk of failure or success so i think that's something we both of us have evolved into being comfortable with uncertainty being comfortable with adaptability i think realizing that an initial hypothesis is just that it's just a you can't attach any ego to it you can't attach any love to it it's just a experiment you throw out in the world and the faster you learn from the feedback the better you are out there and the faster you build on that feedback with the help of others rather than be stuck to an initial position and say okay this is it and the it did not work up to take it very personally and rather adapt and grow yeah yeah and you said that you have reflected upon it can you share a bit more of that process do you do that like on a weekly monthly on some kind of a regular level yeah i think we do something called these retrospectives so we would do it only with our teams but now we do it even internally for both of us as well uh, and that's really helped because this weekly retrospective in fact we have a fairly quick pace we have a weekly one because it just even the minor victories and defeats of the day to day are well analyzed we just sort of say okay maybe this could have been tweaked or even though this was a victory it happened more because of luck rather than deliberate process so it really helped us together it helps us give the other perspective saying that okay this is the way you handled it maybe this could have changed or, or this could have been added so you grow together so that those retrospectives both to our teams and between ourselves are really helpful wonderful grow together i think that's a wonderful phrase 
Yeah. Can you share a bit now, like having this decade of success behind you? What's what's the vision that you have, let's say, for the next decade? I think our vision is largely to become that that enterprise AI that helps people do some of their best work in an organization and spend the time on doing the right thing, like doing work that's powerful and impactful as opposed to their day-to-day that they get end up having to do. Yeah. And how do you separate the like the powerful from everything which demands your attention? I think the way we look at it is anything that can be automated by an AI or a machine or an AI can assist you to do it faster automatically somewhere creates that definition that hey this is probably not possible. I think the amount of time we spend answering emails to working on things that probably are just part of your day, but they don't really create an impact or they don't really create the the necessary direction towards your goals. I think that's, that's how we define it. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of more tangibles, can you share a bit more on what are you planning for the next two to three years? Yeah, I think we're creating a lot of these GPT co-pilots, essentially, for different parts of the organization. Like an AI assistant, so if you're a 200-people call center part of your, let's say you're a bank, giving an example, you have a 200-people call center. Instead now saying, let's hire 10 more people, can we give each of those 200 people an AI assistant is going to make them 2x more productive. When you look at the code side and the IT side, and you give the CTO and the technology teams an AI GPT co-pilot that's suddenly making them 2x more productive. Uh, and as the ops, compliance, and uh, accounts, suddenly there are all these divisions which need an AI assistant co-pilot. And the key of this co-pilot is that it's going to understand, it's going to ingest all the knowledge of the organization. It's going to understand everything about the organization. It's going to know everything that needs to be known for solving your situations. And it's going to make all of that available this that's effortless and beautifully woven into the work that you're doing. So you're not changing your habits, but suddenly mm-hmm. seeing that deep into the world. And we feel yeah. that change is actually going to I know there's a lot of scare about, oh, will AI take our jobs away? Will it reduce our salaries? But we think that the reverse is going to happen. Because if you can make each person 2x more productive in an organization, finally an organization hires based on the amount of additional revenue and added resource called marginal productivity-based salary decisioning, right? And that's how all organizations, I'll hire someone and think of what is this salesperson or customer, how much X of revenue or cost is this person going to save me? And that defines how much I can pay that person. So if you can make each person 2X more productive, suddenly you can go and say, hey, now I can pay my folks double the amount. But they double. Yeah, yeah. And we spoke about challenges when you were starting, right? So now that you are a like 60 people odd company and AI and chat GPT is also very well known in the industry. What do you think are the biggest challenges that lie ahead for you, either from the industry point of view or from an internal organizational growth point of view? Yeah, I think both there's a challenge on both spectrums. I morphed into different things, right? So earlier, if we could control the narrative or we could explain, educate our customer on the narrative, 
now they have some inkling of it already and it may not fit in with what we are offering. So I think that sort of pushes us to change the way we market, to change the way we communicate significantly. Previously, it was an unknown field. Now there the behemoths are there, like OpenAI, and uh, almost everyone wants to have a part of this. So I think competitive intensity is obviously something that's going to increase. And we need to ensure that we've always been innovative, we've been ahead of the game for many years, to ensure that innovation DNA remains with our teams, right? Because obviously now that there's so much scale, we're hitting so many deals that, that are happening. There is the tendency with any large organization to say that, okay, guys, we hit it and now it's time to harvest. But I think it's key that we maintain the innovation DNA that even five, seven years down the line, it's not that we're resting on our laurels or saying, oh, great, we've done it. But we are still bringing the next generation of technology to our customers. So would you like to add anything to that, Apina? No, I think I've summed it up well. And I think the key challenge always is going to be getting these big behemoth organizations to change. I think that's it's a pretty big challenge. It's an exciting one too, to get the option to do that. But yes, it is. It does take it out of you to make that shake that big organization up and say you guys need to wake up. And... Yeah. And how is your organization itself changing? How is your role changing? And what challenges do they present? Or do you think it will present in the near future? Yeah, I think I always joke with Raghav that we now are 65 people and five AI assistants. And the AI assistants are going to keep growing day on day. So the way you look at your hiring strategy, the way you look at the way people work, as definitely, I think, it's evolved quite a lot from what it used to be. And it's getting very interesting. So I think there is going to be a lot of the way you hire, the kind of talent you hire now changes from someone who can who has all the necessary base skills to someone who can leverage technology and create a much higher output from that leverage that technologies like AI create is far more important. Like an example of this would be if we would hire someone in marketing, their copywriting skills was a great metric for us or a very important metric. How good copy can you write? Because a lot of job was copy for the website, copy for blogs, copy for social media. Even if you're not good at writing, but can you evaluate copy really well, right? But writing was a big part. Now it's less about writing copy. It's about evaluating and getting a sense of great copy. And then you use whatever tool you the AI. But the amount of copy that hits us, you can leverage all of that copy that's coming in and directed in the right direction is far more useful than someone who is a great copy creator. That's the way I'd see that. Yeah. And especially from a leadership management side, like how, what challenges does it present? Because it's because roles are also changing, right? It's not just you have to manage a growing organization. You have to also manage because you are like a kind of offering AI. So you have to be using AI, right? You cannot just not use AI in, in, inside your own organization. So how are you managing your teams? How are you managing your people's expectations? And maybe their challenges with their growth, especially as you like grow into let's say hundreds of people. How do you think that is panning out for you? Yeah, I think a couple of threads out here. One is obviously this whole AI thread. I think one thing that we are betting very early on is exposure to AI, right? Uh, whatever field, whether it be our marketing teams, our software development teams, our finance teams, each of them very early on, we made decisions to 
embed AI in their day-to-day processes. Because we, being an AI company, you know, we were like, it's inherent that our employees use it. So then there, there's exposure. And then what we saw from that was obviously they took it and they were already uh, on it. But even teams like finance, etc., once exposed to it really, or marketing, exposed to it really took it into a very different direction. It started with things like copywriting, etc. Now they're using it to even do things like sales. If a query comes in, they're saying, okay, can we use AI only to answer those queries, etc. So they're really adapting to it. And it's really about opening their mind about saying, okay, this is not limited to one part of your job. It's going to be an assistant across your day-to-day. So use it more than just saying, okay, it's great for copywriting or it's great for NYC consolidation. Really push this technology. If you push it, it will sort of give you results which you you didn't expect and get that back out there. With the growth, obviously, as, as team sizes grow, I think we want to maintain that agility. Which, uh, as Abhinav said, when we work with large organizations, it's literally like sometimes turning around the Titanic because there's a lot of inertia built in. But yeah, with our own growth, sometimes we feel that things have become a little slower. And how do we ensure we never lose that nimbleness? Or how do we ensure that, yes, processes, they're key, they're very important. And especially as you grow, they're more important, but not at the expense of speed, not at the expense of flexibility. And that's something we're constantly talking to our teams about saying is that process and nimbleness, how do you build that into your your day? Yeah. And Abhina, maybe you can speak on like, how are you creating the next set of leaders within your organization? And how are you managing like the pressure or the continuous demands on your time? How are you creating that space for you to lead or take those strategic decisions to take your organization to the next level? Yeah, when you get into a lot of these roles, I feel every every time the team grows a little bit or the business grows a little bit, I've realized that start off with doing like the really basic work or doing everything in the organization and you realize, okay, after a certain level of growth, this can't go on. You hire a few folks, you suddenly go on to the next level and you're like, wow, it's done now. This is how it's going to be. And now I'm doing so much more productive work and Things are delegated, and then the next level of growth hits, and you're back to where you started. And you're like, okay, now I need to do it again, and I need to do it again. So I think at each level of growth, you sort of move slightly higher. You start need more strategic. You stop seeing the day to day that often. Sometimes you have to get into the day when things go wrong, but you you start seeing it less often, and you think it's a continuous cycle. So. Keeping your mental headspace running mm. correct to be able to adapt to that constant change, I think it is key. And I've seen that, I've read about it, but I've seen that internally with us as well that the journey from zero to 100,000, 100,000 million, a million to the next barrier and above, each time there's been a massive change in the way we need to run the business. Or the way we need to look at our roles and the roles of the leaders the next nine that we have. So there is a constant upskilling that needs to be done, training these folks, training yourself a lot on leadership, on how things work very differently at different scales. So I think that's kind of a constant process. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for adding that. And after this journey, can you share what what keeps you going? What is the motivation? Is it still that passion of technology, AI? What is that driving force that keeps you going day after day? 
Yeah, I think very true. It's that passion to build something that adds value. I think very early on, we realized that technology's sake doesn't really bring anyone's, doesn't really excite anybody after a while. Right? It's great. You'll enjoy it for a few days, but then what's the point? So technology that adds value and that barrier keeps shifting, right? Because as old technology gets adopted, it's okay. Yeah, it's doing what it's supposed to do. But how do you create the next technology that adds massive value to our end consumer? I think that's something that still keeps us working late into the night sometimes and keeps us very excited. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, can you glimpse into a part of your life, which is like outside of technology, outside of uh, entrepreneurship? What else do you do? What else excites you? Yeah, I think both of us are very passionate readers. We love reading and across. I think at any time, both of us will have three to four books that both of us are reading. And typically, it's a good mix. So we'll share some books and some books will be exclusively, you know, someone, I'll just give up a summary or he'll give me a summary and then go from there. So that's something that has been really exciting for us. I think another area of passion that we both share is, is financial markets. So we are both finance folks. So we both love investing, special situation investing. So that's something that outside of our day-to-day -day business, we both are very passionate about. And yeah, I think I love music as well. So I'm a big, big person when it comes to music. I learned quite a few instruments. So I learned the guitar very early on. Then I learned the piano. Now I've been learning the drums. So I like picking up these interesting challenges in the music space. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And do you do that like regularly? Do you play? Do you practice? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I get a little tired when the practice becomes a little repetitive. Obviously, in work and all, it's, it's something you have to do. But when it's a hobby, I feel I like that change in the way you have to do things more often. So before I kind of pick up different instruments, right now, like I said, a few of the months of drums, I'm just learning drumming and it's been a lot of fun. Sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's yeah. Things when I get time, right? And sometimes doing it before. Yeah. And, and maybe can you share how does that impact like when you are at work? Does that make an impact? And maybe Raga, for you, books, reading books, does it make a difference in the rest of your normal day? Being multidisciplinary, I feel has definitely helped for sure. Because I've seen a lot of things that you learn in one discipline when you start applying it to the other discipline. It's the impact is phenomenal. So when you read, obviously... You're reading, I read a lot when Raghav also reads a lot of nonfiction. So that's directly applicable. But even when it comes to things like music, like one trick I learned was when I was learning how to play the guitar, is that sometimes you need to slow down to be able to learn or speed up the pace of what you're doing. And it's a very common thing when you're learning a musical instrument. But you suddenly look at that and you kind of reapply that to some challenge you're having in business or some coding problem that wasn't getting solved. You're like, wow, it, it actually beautifully moves across and you have suddenly a very nice perspective on how to solve a very difficult problem that no one is thinking of or different way of solving. So I feel that becomes a, being multidisciplinary allows you to take a lot of learnings across different spaces and reapply them in very interesting yeah, for me, the stock investing side really played a good role because as an investor, when you analyze businesses, you analyze it so differently as an entrepreneur, right? Your own 
but it's essentially the same, right? You're looking for growth, you're looking for an increase in profitability, revenue, etc. And sometimes when you look at those metrics and you realize that the entrepreneur, you're so focused on okay, the technology, the customer, and you step back as an investor and you're analyzing somebody else's business, a listed company or a startup. And you say that, yeah, I never look at that as an entrepreneur. Maybe I should because that's important, right? That's how I've seen companies grow and become really big. Definitely, I think it's almost that twin perspective, right? One as the leader of the company and one as an outside person who's maybe just hoping for the growth, who's invested in the growth, uh, but has no real levers to push. Yeah, absolutely. I think you mentioned about innovation earlier, I think, and the multidisciplinary approach or using insights from one discipline and applying it to another discipline is actually what triggers or can trigger innovation. And Abhinav, I also love what you mentioned, right? Sometimes you have to slow down to speed up, especially if you are struggling somewhere or if you're not making progress, rather than simply moving on, it's it's better or it's more productive to slow down. And then to and that allows you to actually speed up in the long term. So thank you for adding that. Before we end, if you were to recommend one or a few books to anybody who might be listening, what would those be? Since you are such avid readers, what would be some of your favorite recommendations? Mine probably would be The Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. It's a very beautiful story on how he, as an entrepreneur, very candidly went through his journey. And now he's a VC, but uh, he beautifully covers all those things that an entrepreneur actually goes through on my list. And the other would probably be mindset by Kyle Dweck. So mindset is another very beautiful one because it really got a very different way of looking at challenges when you hit. And I felt a lot of problems early on in my life would have been solved by actually having the right mindset, which I did. Those two would be my top. Yeah, I would definitely agree on mindset. That too would be top of my list. It talks a lot about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And reading that book was, was a, a game changer, both in personal and professional life. Other books that I really liked was Atomic Habits. I think just when I read it initially, I thought, yes, it's, it'll be something about building better habits, but, but you end up realizing that you're just a sum of all the things you do daily and habits are Mostly that, right? That book was was quite inspirational and it's something that I read almost every year just to reacquaint myself with some of the ideas that were written there. Another left field book that I really liked was Algorithms to Live By. It's about how computer science can be applied in real life. And it it I approached it as a very mathematical book in the start, but it's surprising how many of those algorithms I now use to plan my time and to even select the movies I watch. So it's another book that, you know, I... Absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing that like wide range of books. And quite incidentally, you mentioned, I think, four or five books and I've read all of them. So I can see the value, I think, in that book, how not to be wrong, right? How much algorithms or math decides already our day-to-day decisions and how things pan out and how can we be more conscious about them. I think Atomic Habits is a wonderful book to build new skills or to learn something new. And you mentioned something wonderful that you read it again and again. And because every time you read it, you get something new. And many times people see learning as like one-time thing. But I think that's a wonderful like example that you gave that learning is not a one-time thing. And it's learning doesn't happen in reading a book. It actually happens in applying and which is what Atomic Habits actually talk about, right? 
So rereading is actually a habit that like you are you are created for yourself. And then mindset, I think such a wonderful book about how to look at life, right? You can look at life uh, and especially for anybody who has not read the book, you can look at life as something happening to me, something against me, like everything is a, as a problem, a challenge, or you can look like, how is it happening for my growth? What can I take away from this that will help me in the future? And that just releases so much of the pressure, I think, which many times is self-imposed. So thank you for, for sharing this. And I think what you shared, Abhinav, I think the hard things about hard things, it's it's like such so much of like visceral story or example of somebody going through a hard time. I also love reading a lot of autobiographies. And I think that gives me that very visceral, like in your skin feeling of what somebody was going through up at a particular time. So thank you for sharing that, that perspective. Before we end, is there anything that you would like to add? Or if anybody who is interested in reaching out, finding out more, what is the best way for them to do so? For me, definitely just reach out on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active. So you can hit me up over there. And I think the key, I think, for any entrepreneur in, in their journey is to find their passion in life. And the way I define a passion is essentially something that if someone was to wake you up at three o'clock in the night, say you need to do this, you'd still be excited to, you'd be okay and you'd be excited to do it. I think that's when you found your true passion and look at something that combines that with the capability of actually making money from it. I think that kind of sets you on a track that keeps you happy, grounded, and makes life very enjoyable. Yeah, I think for me, yeah, again, LinkedIn is the great place to reach out to me as well. I'm not as active as Abhinav, but I'm getting there as well. On the, yeah, on the last words, I think I would, uh, you know, definitely tell people that uh, treat life as a continuous learning. I think that is something that, that really changed the way I approach each situation. It takes the pressure off, like you were mentioning, and you're always then, even if you're in the middle of a difficult situation, you're almost looking at it as a very nonchalant third party saying, okay, yes, complex or bad things are happening. But how do I make my next move rather than say, oh, focus on, oh, what did I do wrong? Why am I in this spot? Rather, you're like, okay, what can I learn? What can I change? So that I'm ever improving, ever changing and getting into a better space. Thank you for sharing that. And I will make sure to include like your LinkedIn profiles with the show notes. And as we end, I would like to thank you once again for what you have done with your company, what you continue to do and how you have actually grown yourself personally as well. And I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help 
promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.